The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. The Mike Wise Show has been renamed because Twitter banned our previous name, The Wise Ass Show. It was deemed too profane for Twitter. For real. Think about that. Banned by Twitter. Who knew Mike was such a threat to society? I am a threat to society, Darlene. Mike Wise Show this week's got Isaiah Thomas in one of his signature interviews. He talks about, well, believe it or not, Jeff Hornacek's dad disciplining him with a paddle at private school. Also, how coach Bobby Knight shows up at his house in West Chicago to recruit him and almost gets in a fight with his brothers. And why missing out on the dream team still hurts. Look, all I got to tell you is listen this week. You're going to love it. Take it away, Darlene. The Mike Wise Show is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. The Mike Wise Show is hosted by a guy who played basketball atrociously for Hawaii Pacific College, which forced him into journalism. And, oh yeah, he wrote about basketball for the New York Times, the Washington Post, and ESPN. He's also a wise-ass, and so are many of his guests. Right, Mike? Hey, Pure Hoops fans, I'm Monica McNutt, and I'm pumped to announce my podcast rolling out April 11th, Buckets, Boards, and Blocks. We're going to do it every Thursday. Hopefully, we'll have some conversations with your favorite hoopers. We'll get to their journey in the game, what makes it special, why they love the game, all of that good stuff. So please check it out. It's Buckets, Boards, and Blocks rolling out on April 11th every Thursday. Monica, my hoop sister from D.C., welcome to Pure Hoops Media. We look forward to buckets, boards, and blocks. We look forward to talking to you next week on the show, the Mike Wise Show, formerly the Wise-Ass Show. You're such a wise-ass. I don't usually provide disclaimers for the show, but Isaiah Thomas's interview deserves one. He's under contract with Madison Square Garden until May. Hence, he couldn't talk about the Knicks, past or present, which, to be honest, I wanted to ask him about. That said, this is the most candid and open as I've ever heard Zeke. I hope you enjoy it. I sure did. Welcome to the Mike Wise Show, formerly the Wise-Ass Show on Pure Hoops Media. Um, as Isaiah Thomas knows, Twitter would not take our advertising if I, if I had the name <laughs> ass in the show. And as Isaiah knows, he, he's never sworn in his life. So he totally agrees with this policy to rename the show from the Wise Ass Show to the Mike Wise Show. Don't you, Zeke? One hundred percent. One hundred percent. Very, very happy to have you on the show, my 10th podcast. And um, I, I want to, first of all, thank you. Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't. Uh, you, you're one of these people that um, even though you've been a source for me over the years and you've been very invaluable with information, whether it be on the record or just insight or me calling you up and you telling me I can't talk to you about it. Um, you've, all, you've, you've also actually commented on the jobs I've had and the jobs I haven't had. And uh, you, you, you basically said that I need to be doing things that that I really want to be doing recently. And it made me it's one of the reasons I'm doing this. So so thank you, sir. Well, you're welcome, and you know your your knowledge and insight, and you know covering 
you know, all sports over the years, you've always been, you know, honest and, and accurate and opinionated. And even though, you know, we may, we may have not always agreed with each other, I always respected your work and your honesty. So, you know, thank you for just always being a stand-up guy. Thank you. Isaiah Thomas is my guest. I, you know, like I think of all the people that I've had on the show already, Jeannie Buss, Jamal Crawford. I love Garrett Temple. Frank Isol, I could have done without. Um, there were a couple others. Uh, <laughs> but 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 Isaiah, I mean, I have not had a, a bona fide Hall of Famer, a guy who essentially is a 12-time NBA All-Star, one of the top 50 players of all time, named 1997 um, All-50-player all, all team, All-NBA team. I just um, – I know you get this every now and then, and people recognize your face. Do – as, as we head into Selection Sunday today, and I'm taping this the day before it comes out, do, do you still get the, you know, P, calls, letters from Hoosier people? And they say, oh, I, I was there in 81, or I remember you. I, absolutely. It, it's funny. Right before the, uh, the game the other day, um, when, they, when they lost to Ohio State uh, in the tournament, uh, a, couple of, a couple of people from – from Franklin and from Bloomington wanted me to send a video uh, to their to their grandfather, who's a you know who, who loves Indiana, loves IU, and it was actually his birthday. So they requested that I say happy birthday to him and wish the Hoosiers good luck. So you know, anytime right. uh, tournament time comes around, those memories always come back. And you know, in, in at Indiana, uh, we shared a lot of them. And, you know, tournament time is always special. Do you ever think that because you've coached college, you've coached the in, in the NBA, you've been an executive. Now you're doing uh, broadcasting with NBA TV and TNT. I, I do you ever think that you could be part of uh, putting that program back on the national map again? Have you ever been approached or thought about it, especially in recent times? They're not going to make the tournament this year. Yeah, I mean, all of us who are who are former players, uh, alumni, uh, we, I mean, really, we have weekly discussions about uh, how we can help the program, what we can do to, um, you know, bring it back to, you know, the place that we once knew, and um, you know, it's 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 not pleasant where we are right now, uh, but hopefully uh, we can get back, and if if there's any way that I can be of help or help the university, I'm, I'm always willing to do that. So is that a yes? You would, you would think about the coaching job? No, well, there's, you know, there's a coach there right now in, in, in Archie, and we, we yes. give him all the support uh, that he needs. And, you know, if, if ever that job, you know, opens, there's, there's, there's a lot of us that would, would definitely be willing to go back and help the university. I mean, whether it be Mike Woodson, whether it be Randy Whitman, um, any of us who've ever had like pro pro coaching, um, you know, experiences or college coaching experiences, you, you know, Indiana is always a place that you, you want to do well, you dream about doing well and you love the university. Um, I, I first really fell in love with the college team in 1976 or maybe 75, the Scott May, Kent Benson, you know, the Abernathy team, uh, Bobby Wilkerson. I love Quinn Buckner was on that team. I love that team. I didn't know anything about Coach Knight. I didn't know anything about um, – uh, all I knew is he wore plaid suits 
and they knocked off John Wooden's UCLA Bruins on the opening night of 1976 or 1975 before their perfect season. And I just, I don't know what it was. I fell in love with that team. And then, of course, I became, in growing up in Northern California, an Indiana fan, and which is why I loved Isaiah Thomas and, shoot, uh, uh, Ted Kitchell, I think, was on that team, Landon Turner, uh, shoot, Witt. Uve Blob. Yeah. I mean, you had you had a real interesting you had an interesting roster there. Yeah, we did, and you know, we we had a lot of different personalities and a lot of people that you know really really loved to play the game. And all of us, you know, we came to Indiana because Coach Knight was such a great coach, and also uh, you know that that team that you just talked about, you know, in terms of Quinn Buckner, Kim Benson, Bobby Wilkerson, Scott May. You know, they, they fascinated all of us, you know, the, the undefeated season that they had. And I had known – I didn't know Quinn Buckner, but I was always a fan of his, uh, being growing up in Chicago and Illinois. You know, his high school team, uh, Thorn Ridge, they went undefeated in high school. He won a high school tournament. Then he went to Indiana, uh, went undefeated again at Indiana. I mean, so Quinn Buckner, you know, in, in Chicago basketball in Illinois, I mean, he was – you're talking about a leader and a captain and a winner. It didn't get no better than Quinn Buckner. Mm. So um, the the one thing – and when was the last time you spoke to Coach Knight, by the way? Uh, actually, I spoke to him about uh, 10 days ago. Okay. So I, I have been told by a couple people fairly close to him that he's not in very good health. Um, is that true? Well, you know, age has a way of, you know, catching up with all of us. And, you know, the time that I, I, I spoke to him, he was he was in good spirits. He was doing well. We had some laughs, um, had some great memories to, to share and discuss. And, you know, he was he was all right that day. OK, so do we know exactly what he's suffering from or is that a private family matter? Or is uh, where um, where is that? I mean, all, all health issues, you know, they're always private family matters. You, you know, you never want to speak about anyone else's health until they're ready to speak about it. Okay, that's fine. But it, it sounds like there's a there's obviously if, if former players are getting and, and reaching out and whatnot, there's a real concern um, that that no, be. No, I, I wouldn't. You know, we we always have have reached out and stayed in touch. I mean, okay. I'll, you know the, the the Indiana connection, and and I think with all of us, with all with all former coaches, whether they be high school or college coaches, I know myself. I do my high school coach, my college coach, my NBA coaches. Um, I am always uh, in touch with them, and and forever grateful for what they've done for me as a person and a player. And do you um, was he as hard on you as he was on some other players? I, I think coach did not discriminate with his harshness or his hardness. I mean, every, every, everybody got, got, a, got a equal distribution of, you know, toughness from him. I mean, I, I, I can't say that, you know, he took it easy on anybody. <laughs> I look, uh, I look back on it. And obviously you have a special relationship with him. It, it was hard to watch the documentary. Um, it was hard to watch, uh, one, the people who defended him against some things that, that were, you know, they weren't sure. But two, you know, it, it just felt like if you had done that documentary 30 years ago, people would say, eh, 
yeah, he's a tough SOB, but but damn it, that's that's what coaching in the Big Ten was then, and that's who Bob Knight is. Nowadays, you know, he's like up he's up on child abuse charges. Is this just a is this just a different era? Or is Bobby Knight a bully through and through, and he just happens to be a great coach? Well, the the, the one thing about uh, looking back uh, and doing, you know, timepieces, uh, very rarely do uh, you include or talk about the, the context of the time and what that time period was about. And, you know, the way the way the way a lot of all parents raised us back then uh and i'm talking about my mom and my dad you know the the way we were raised back then nowadays if you said the things to your kid or did the thing to your kid i mean literally you you go to jail now <laughs> you know yeah um and and coaching and and teaching was was the same um I grew up, um, you know, I, I went to Catholic school and some of the things that the priests and the nuns uh, from a discipline, discipline area standpoint, you know, in terms of you using the paddle and the ruler and, you know, grabbing you by your ear, you know, yank, you know, it's like those stuff, you know, it's, it, it's not allowed today. And that's the same way we're coaching. Hey, Mr. Hornacek, who was the dean of students at my school, Jeff Hornacek's dad, hmm. um, I remember in, in detention, you could either choose to either get the paddle or you could choose to, to write, you know, three chapters in a history book. And a lot of times you just chose the paddle and Mr. Hornacek was the dispenser of the paddle. <laughs> so, Je so Jeff Hornacek's dad beat your ass. Absolutely. He was my freshman coach also. <laughs> That's incredible. Uh, this, was this at St. Joe's? Yeah, this is at St. Joe's. Oh man! So he, so he and uh, P Joe Pingator were were in concert. Yeah, and, and but yeah. I mean that those those were the times back then, and I think sure. I think what happened with with Coach Knight, he got he got caught right in the right at the end where where times were changing and yeah. the things that you know people talked about in terms of being great, you know, strong disciplinarians and, you know, the things that were allowed in coaching, you know, it, it, it changed and it changed, you know, overnight. And in my opinion, he was a victim of that change and not being able to adjust and change with the time. Um, you probably know the voice. Uh, if not, you know the baby face smile, which I, I, Isaiah is going to be 80 and he's going to look like he's 30. I hate him for this. Um, but uh, Isaiah Thomas <laughs> is my Blame it on guest. my mom and dad. <laughs> What's that? Blame it on my mom and dad. <laughs> oh man, oh man, it, it's it's incredible how you 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 you've you've had that you've had that same face through the years. And uh, he's a twelve-time NBA All Star, fifty greatest of all time, and he's done everything. Coached in the NBA in college, and executive broadcaster. I still. I still remember the the Hoop Dreams film and the kid Arthur Agee, whom he and William Gates I got to know fairly well after the, the documentary. Uh, he, the the moment where you got on the court with him and he's at St. Joe's, he hadn't transferred yet um, during the camp. It was just that moment there was like, but that kid that kid is looking up to you like I'm sure hundreds through the years have looked up to you. 
Um, do you look back on that and think to yourself, well, he's, he's just one of many, or, or is that, was that a special time? It, it was a special time, and, you know, the, the, the filmmakers of Hoop Dreams really captured the moment. Because you as a professional athlete, uh, growing up um, in the neighborhood that I grew up in, you, you never realize, you know, who you're touching mm. and, um, you know, what that kid or who that kid's going to grow up to be. And only thing that you're trying to do is, is live your life and, you know, really set a positive example. But you don't know who you're setting that positive example for. And, and the way they captured that moment and, and crystallized it in, on film and everything else, it just really let me know the, the, the power of, of sport, the power of athlete, uh, the power of, of personhood, you know, growing up, you know, on the west side of Chicago where none of us had food, you were struggling to pay the, the rent mm. or the light bill, you know, every single day. And you don't realize the type of inspiration you've become to another person. And so for me, that was, you know, a, a very powerful moment and still is today. Isaiah Thomas is the son of Isaiah Lord Thomas II and Mary Thomas. Um, you were the youngest of nine children. You still in touch and uh, close with your siblings? Uh, a couple of my siblings have, um, you know, brothers have passed away. Um, mm. You know, as you, you know, the, you know, uh, my family was heavily riddled with um, alcohol and uh, drug yes. abuse. Uh, so, uh, you know, a couple of my brothers have passed away. But, you know, I, I talk to my sisters and, and my brothers who are still alive almost daily. And uh, we're very close. And we, and I'm still junior and I'm still the youngest and I still get treated <laughs> badly. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's good. I love that you always need someone to have to keep you in um, in check. I um, uh, um, I didn't I didn't agree to this, but you've been so good to me. I'm going to promote your damn champagne. What is this? Sherland Champagne. You you announced that you, you have exclusive United importer of Sher Is it Sherland Champagne? So the English pronunciation of it is Sherland yeah. and the French pronunciation is Sherlan. Um, and I am, I own Sherlon Champagne. Um, I own a company a hundred percent. I'm the, uh, largest African American importer of champagne in the world right now. Uh, we're in 14 states, uh, our champagne, uh, we have, uh, four skews of champagne. Uh, we have a hundred percent Pinot champagne, uh, that we call the champion. It's the only hundred percent Pinot in the United States. We also have a Rosé de Sagné, which is the only uh, Rosé de Sagné in the United States. Um, and what, what, what are you, a sommelier? How do you know all this stuff? I, I, you know, I've, I've been in this space now for, for, for two and a half years, oh. three years. I've gotten educated um, about how uh, champagne is made. And the thing that, that has that really intrigued me about this space is that I realized that the champagne that we get here in the United States is heavily loaded with sugar and very high like in sulfite. It. I love well, it. But that's why you always get a headache when you drink it. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> um, and most of, most of the champagnes uh, leave you with that feeling. 
we've given it a fancy term here in the United States. We call it a hangover, but really you're getting sick. Uh, so what I did in, in all our champagnes, um, our two high our two high end champagnes, Le Champion and our Celebrate is zero sugar. Our Brut Special only has five grams of sugar. That's one See, I, gram of sugar per glass. I think I, and our I rose. think I've tasted that. I think I've tasted the Brut Special. Yeah, I think you tasted it probably uh, either at the Hall of Fame or, or All Star Game. Yes, yes, I tasted it at the Hall of Fame. Yeah, and. Oh, um, did you enjoy it? Yeah, but I, I didn't get enough. They gave me this little wartime ration thing. I couldn't, you know, I, I, couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't get drunk off that. It was ridiculous. You know, give me a bottle next time. A wartime ration. I love it. <laughs> only, only you can come up with that right off the top of your head. <laughs> uh, Isaiah Thomas is my guest. Uh, he's not only an entrepreneur, he's a hell of a coach. He's still... Still one of the most underrated talent evaluators I know of. And this is only because we'll talk um, some of it off the record about players and now and then. And he's got to be careful because he's talking to a reporter, but also because he still works in the industry. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring up something and it's like totally off the wall, but it kind of reminds me, a little, it, it kind of takes us to today's players and whatnot. I remember when I was covering the Knicks for the New York Times, uh, there's this distinct memory. The Knicks beat the Bulls in a playoff game at the Garden. It was one of those games where Oakley and Starks and and whatever hooligans were playing for the Knicks at the time, they just got in Pippen's grill. Scottie Pippen had one of those soft Scotty games. And I'll always remember this, and you know where the exact place is, where you know I call this guy an OG fan, old, older African-American man. His torso's craned over the railing above the tunnel to the locker rooms. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The garden, and he's yelling at Jeff Van Gundy, like smiling, going, yo, Van Gundy, Van Gundy, you punk bitch Pippen. You punk bitched him. And, and Van Gundy just started laughing. And I'm thinking to myself, all these years later, would the bad boys have punk bitched the Warriors? <laughs> well, it, it, all depends it, was, on the, it all depends on the style of play <laughs> and, and what the rules are. Now, I, I will say this. Um, you know, about about the Warriors. What they've been able to do over the last, you know, three years, you know, from a winning standpoint is, is highly impressive. I, I would say the four years. And, you know, what Curry and Clay Thompson have done from a guard standpoint in terms of shooting the basketball, expanding the boundaries of, of everybody's imagination, what's a good shot and what's a bad shot. Uh, we got kids now pulling up from – from the hash mark and even from half court. So what, what those two guys have done in terms of just expanding the imagination of what shooting range is and also from a winning standpoint, you have to give them a lot of credit for the mark they've left on the game. And just as, you know, the bad boys, we as a team, we left our mark on the game. When this era is all said and done, the Golden State Warriors have left their mark on the game also. Oh, yeah, and I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I, I think that when people will talk about Steph Curry back, you know, they say whatever they want. You could put a forearm in his back in the um, way back when, and he wouldn't be the player he was, whatever. I think people will look at him when it's all said and done, and maybe Steph, I mean, Clay Thompson for that matter, and some of the other guys, they will look at him as like almost like like Kareem Skyhook. That's what Steph's, you know, shot from the parking lot has done for the NBA. I looked at, I mean, I, I think 
1985, I looked this up once, I think Mike Evans attempted 10 three-pointers. Uh, I think he missed eight, but it was just in 18 minutes of playing time. And, and no other player in the league put up 10 or more shots from behind the arc in an entire 40-minute game, that 48-minute game that seasons. And I looked a couple of years ago, 90 players jacked up 10 or more three-pointers, you know, like 400 separate times. And, uh, and you know, Stephen Curry alone accounted for like more than 50 of those incidences. incidences. And so I look, I, I, you had a great quote when I did this story. It was like, if you were 0 for 8 five years ago or even seven years ago from the three-point line, you're a might get cut. <laughs> um, and, and they're, you know, they've completely twisted the boundaries in terms of what an acceptable shot is in our sport. Do you like that or does it bother you? Um, you know, it, it, I like it because, you know, we all, I, you all, we, you always admire creativity and imagination and, uh, their creativity and imagination in terms of imagining that they can shoot it from that far and be that accurate and be that good with it. I, I love that. Now, what I don't like is that other players who can't shoot from that range and, and are not as accurate from the three-point line, <laughs> they are allowed to say go 0 for 8 or go 0 for 5. Or, and, and then it just becomes a game of who can get up the most three-shot attempts as opposed to which team can make the most shots. In basketball, for me, the way I was taught, it was, it's, all, it, it's always about it's a game of makes not a game of attempts or misses. And right now the way the game is being being allowed to play is you it's about if you can get up a hundred plus attempts and the more volume of attempts you get up, you're you're guaranteed to make at least thirty five or forty percent of those attempts. And so now it becomes a game of volume as opposed to a game of expertise. Mm. And, and and it's they don't value possessions like they used to. They just don't. It's and and it's it's. I don't know if that's that's just what the game has become. But I love the I love the good half court grinded out possession. Not Knicks Heat, but maybe Pistons Bulls back in the day. Well, there was there was a again there was there was imagination and creativity and there were there were different styles there were different offenses now you watch an nba game and literally we got 30 teams in the nba and literally they all play the exact mm. same way um the, penetrate the and kick court, yeah yeah the the half court offense is 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 all the same it's really just one play uh high screen and roll and and that's it. <laughs> um, but you know, back back when we played, you know, you you had you had different variations of offense, and the coaches were were extremely imaginative. And now you may look at one coach and you may say, I don't I don't like his philosophy or style. But you never looked at a coach and said this guy didn't know what he was doing because he yeah. was so ingrained in his philosophy. He was so ingrained in his style that he knew it, you know, in and out. Now, it may have not fit the players that he was coaching, and the players may have some conflict with the coaches 
philosophy or style, but you never looked at an NBA coach and said, man, this guy don't know what the hell he's doing. Mm. Because they all understood their philosophy and their styles. You think the coach is overrated in today's game because of the copycat nature? I, I, I think coaching in today's game, there's, there's just not enough creativity and imagination in it. And it's, it truly yeah. is, you know, one size fits all. You know, Pop, Popovich, um, you know, he's, he's adapted, he's changed, uh, and he plays, you know, different ways, different style. Popovich is kind of like um, uh, what uh, the, uh, the Patriots coach um, – Belichick. I'm blanking on his name right now. Belichick. Yeah. So Popovich and Belichick, you know, they're they're about the same way in terms of their coaching styles, their coaching knowledge, because each of them can can look at a team and look at a game plan and say, okay, we're going to change the way we play, and for this specific series or for this specific game, we're going to play this way. And, you know, next week he may be playing a totally different style and doing a totally different thing as like a Belichick can, but they have the ability to teach it. You know, back then coaches, you had to have, you had to have secondary degrees and coaches <laughs> right. prided themselves on being teachers of the game. Look at Dr. And, Jack and Ramsey. To, yeah. You had to teach the game and you, and not only did you have to teach the game, you had to teach life skills. Uh, so that, that component of coaching, that component of, of, of building a, a player and a team, all that is gone. All that is lost. That's, that's a good point. Isaiah Thomas is my guest on the Mike Wise show. Um, he's very accomplished uh, and he's also a decent human being. You know, I get more grief from people um, because uh, I have, uh, you know, I, I have what I would call peripheral friendship with you. They're like, you like Isaiah? You like Isaiah? Well, and I'm going, what? And, and and I don't know where it comes from. Obviously, um, uh, obviously, you've you've had some run-ins um, with 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 reporters over the years, and where they've either burned you or taken things out of context. But but I've 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 always found you to be honest. My friend said this is what he said to me. He goes he goes Isaiah's the guy in the in the classroom who like you let out a fart or something and your teacher looks back and said, who did that? And it might've been Isaiah, but he's going to point to the other guy. <laughs> well, what is well, that? Who, whoever, why, why do whoever that, whoever that guy is, if, if he has a name, I would guarantee you that person has never had any dealings with me. Now, if you talk with people who have, dealt with me on the daily, on the straight up, get a, a much different opinion than the one you just described. And for, for myself, there's no way I would have been able to last as long in the business that I've been in and that we've been in if there was any shadiness about me. Yeah, well... Look, I've I've defended you on several occasions, and and it's not because I like you; it's because I did some research. But I will say this, um, and w you know, because you're still under contract with Madison Square Garden. Um, but but I'm wait, not... by the way, the the guy who farted in the class. Yes. 
he has no manners and he shouldn't fart in the class. <laughs> I mean, and, and, and so, and so, so, so what's that about? No, you're right. You, you, you're right. You want to be, you want to be excused for having no manners. No, you're I'm right. not excusing you. You're right. Pete, Pete LeBlanc of New Bedford, Massachusetts. That's on you, baby. I just called his ass out right there, Isaiah. Um, and uh, I have so, no idea who Pete is. You know, Pete, 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 and, you know what Pete has is? has he ever met me? Well, here's the deal. Pete's an old, Pete's an old Celtic guy, right? And he's still got it in his craw that you diss Larry Bird in 1987. And I've been trying to tell him for years that, one, you felt awful about it. Bird, Larry Bird has said time and then time again that he knows that wasn't in your heart. You've said, and you look at the clip, it's total Isaiah. You laughing at the time, you're, it's, a, it's a bit of sarcasm that wasn't taken as sarcasm. And, and you basically did a press conference in the NBA Finals about it. I, to this day, um, to this day, can you say that Larry Bird is not overrated because he's a white player? <laughs> I can't so believe I, people still hold on to that. No, so here, here's what was going on during that period of time that no one wanted to speak to. But now today, you know, 30 years later, it's okay to talk about race, yep. class, gender, stereotypes. And back then in the NBA, females had just been allowed to come into the locker room to cover the sport. And... It was basically all sport was covered by all white men. Yep. And that's not a racist comment. That was an observation that, that we were, the Detroit Pistons were making at that time, saying that there needs to be some, you know, that there needs to be some, some, some other cultures, some other races, some other people covering the sport. And believe it or not, during that period of time, by saying that, it was perceived as controversial. And and some people in the media were highly offended that you would suggest that an African-American should be on the beat covering the sport. <laughs> no, I remember that's what, I mean, Brian Burwell, God rest his soul, he was, he, he was a pioneer at the time. I mean, shoot, you just didn't have a lot of people of color in the locker rooms. So you think that had something to do with the perception that you got the main people, you mean people covering it or sort of people with, you know, I look, I love a lot of them. Jack McCallum, like they, some of the most, what I would call liberal, well-intentioned white folks that I've ever met. Although there's some other people that weren't, that's, that's just the bottom line. Yeah. And, and, and as you said, that's just the bottom line. And, and what, what we were saying in Detroit as Detroit Pistons, is that we would like to see some some racial equality in terms of covering the sport, officiating the sport, coaching the sport, and managing the sport. Mm-hmm. And at that time, we were we were the only team that was really that vocal about it and speaking to it, and that was controversial at that time. Now now you look back thirty years, and and guess what? We we were right. So you mentioned a Brian Burwell who got his start with the Detroit Pistons, covering the beat, then became a columnist, and then move on. Uh, because we were so vocal at that time, the Detroit Pistons, the league, 
basically to shut us up, said, okay, we're going to give you uh, female beat writers and columnists and African-American beat writers and columnists. Um, and, you know, when you look at Detroit, it's still that way today where you have a very integrated media team that's covering the sport. And that's all we were asking. And and for whatever reason, you know, some some people, as you say, they they took that as uh, controversial. But then there were some people in the media, such as yourself, was like, "Yeah, what's wrong with that?" <laughs> right, right, and and look, look to this day, uh, if uh, I I think Bird said it himself. I know that Billy Hunter, the former executive director of the Players Union, did. And may may have been good 10, 12 years ago that the quote came out, but it was the notion was that if the NBA was ever going to take off, and I mean go back to um, Magic, Bird, Isaiah, Michael, numbers, and have that kind of renaissance again, the thought was, um, and I think Bird said this, but I know that Billy Hunter did, was you had to have an American-born white superstar that ticket go ticket buyers – and mass audiences, many of whom are mainstream white people, would embrace. Um, I look now and I go, really? Because, because this this league is doing as well as it's ever done, and and the players have become bigger than just players. There's they're they're global celebrities, and and to me, the best players are still black. Does that have to? Do you need an American-born white superstar in this day and age to sell the NBA? No, you don't. That's what that's what we were saying. That's what all Detroit Pistons team were saying back then. Mm. Is that because the the league and, and and you know this better than than I do. Um, and again, if you go back to that time period, and you look at everything that was written and everything that was being said, and the and the subtle uh, racialization of the language that was being used back then, the Lakers. And the Celtics, you were really, you were really the the league from a marketing standpoint and everything else was subtly playing the race card to draw people in to see Magic Bird, you know, mm. or the Celtics Lakers. You Definitely. know, there there was a, I mean, and and that was that was and it was marketed that way in a very subtle way, but it wasn't subtle. It was extremely loud to right. anyone who would, who was paying attention. Oh no, no! It was it was the white dudes from Boston versus the brothers from LA. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and 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 we were saying, hey, it don't have to be that way. The game is beautiful enough in itself. Yeah. And when people get together, you know, we can we can move beyond the the racialization of the game and really make it about the game. And we don't necessarily have to use the cold language, the cold words, and so forth and so on to get people interested. However, no. back then, that's the way it was marketed. I completely agree with you, and and people they can say what they want about it, but it's it's so true. I also, um, I, I I also remember the times when the when times when guys would well, I don't want to say come out and say something and be ridiculed for it, but if if you were black and you said something controversial, the chances are you'd suffer a lot more than the white dude. And that and that's just the way, as you said, the way it was back then. My, I even talked to Stephen Curry about this a few years ago 
where I said, you know, there's a lot of backlash against you. And I said, is it because you're you're not the uh, and, and when I say backlash from a lot of the urban black players in the league that thought, oh, this guy's a you know, this guy's a player's kid. He didn't he didn't work for it like I did. And and, you know, and and, and he, I even asked him, I go, you think it's part of like the light skin, the other. And he goes, he goes, if I'd be silly if I didn't think some of that was about it. You know, I, I don't know what the backlash is, is the media loves uh, either the media loves me too much and they hate them for loving me or or, you know, th- there's just that feeling. And I look back on it now and I go, really? Like, like, I just don't. Grant Hill said he got some of this, too. Like where if you came from a from a decent background, it was all of a sudden you, you didn't have the street cred you needed to to be accepted. And I think that's one of the most ridiculous things in this day and age. Well, now that again, now that we are we are in a we are in an environment where we can have these kind of discussions that you and I are having, which are good. Yeah. Um, now, now we can really critique what was going on during that period of time, and even with a with with a with a with a Grant Hill or a Steph Curry, you know, from a from a from a cultural standpoint. So, the the privileged kids, when you're poor, mm. you always hate the privileged kids because <laughs> you want what they got. Right. <laughs> And and when you look at and you look at you know um, the way uh, a Steph Curry grew up, the way um, uh, a Brent Bur- a Brent Barry grew up, you know the John Bar- the, the Barry family, the the royal families of the NBA who have been around for centuries and ages, you know those those are the privileged kids. And so it, there's a lot of that, you know, like like uh, Doc Rivers, who when we both grew up in Chicago. His son, Austin Rivers, now is looked at one of the privileged kids, and I'm sure Doc is like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> you right. Know? And I'm sure Dale, and I'm sure Dale was, is looking at Steph like, what, what the hell are you talking about? Because we, we as first generation of wealth and income, when we come into the NBA or when we came into money, we, we were that first generation, and now the kids of, of us – are coming up, and now they're looked at as the privileged kids by the kids who weren't yep. privileged. So, and that and that cross racial lines. That doesn't. That's just not you know, uh, black, white, Hispanic. Yeah. I mean that. That's more about you know the haves and the have-nots. Yeah. And that. Well, that's I love really what... all that is. That's not a race issue. No, I don't think so either. I I love when Ken. Ken Burns, the documentarian, and, and Skip Woods, uh, Skip Gates from Harvard went around doing their own race conversation um, a couple of years ago. I remember Skip Gates saying something that was great. He goes, hey, I teach African-American studies one-on-one. If you want to ace the final, just know this. And he said, you know, there's 44 million African-Americans in America. He goes, that means there's 44 million different ways to be black. <laughs> And, and I feel the same way about, you know, white people. Like, you know, we're not a monolithic race. You can be what you want and look how you want and shoot. Uh, uh, you know, whatever gender, sexuality you are, it doesn't matter. If you can play ball, you can play ball. And people are, I think one of the stereotypes for, you know, if I'm really being honest here, that bothered you back in the day was not anything about birth, but it was the idea that the media 
thought that Bird was smarter and worked harder than black players, and that's why he dominated in the 80s. And the bottom line was Isaiah Thomas was uh, also relied on intelligence, courage, and work ethic to compete against bigger, stronger players, and and that wasn't highlighted as much. And I, I, to me, that's that's where that came from. But I could be completely wrong. Well, that's that that the language that was used, and I I I was I was just critiquing the language that was being used. Yeah. And the language that was being used at that point in time was the 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 African American athlete was critiqued from the neck down. He was given no he was given no uh credit from the neck up. Uh it was always about his jumping ability or his speed or his skills. It was never about his intellect. And and bird to his credit Bird to his credit, and I'm gonna say this, you know, loudly when I say this. Oh, I love it. My, I love it. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I love barking. this. I love this dog. <laughs> this dog. This dog is racist. He hates Bird. No, 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 no. If you saw the dog. Uh, <laughs> what kind? What kind of dog you got? Because I'm a big dog. He's, guy. He, he's, he's a Bichon, and he is white as snow right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, but so, yeah, but you're gonna say. No, but if you, I love this. No, but. But Bird always gave Magic Johnson credit for being the smartest player he's ever played against. Mm. And Bird looked at yep. Magic Johnson from the neck up, not from the neck down. But whenever, yeah. but whenever it was written or talked about during that period of time, you know, if, and, that's, and that's what I was pointing out. But I also yeah. was pointing out that one of the reasons why I believe that to be the case is because the media at that time who was covering us was 99% white male and a hundred percent editors were white men. <laughs> so it, it was like, so I was like, you know, Hey, you, we, we need some different opinions here. And because I was vocal enough to say that, I was heavily, heavily, heavily criticized mm. by a lot of the media. Well, I think also that people forget when you get big and when you become who you became and, and accomplish what you did, they forget, okay, this guy was the youngest of nine children. He was born on the city's west side in a very poverty-stricken area. And he went to school in Westchester at St. Joe's, which was like a 90 minute commute from his own home. And then, you know, they, they don't remember the sacrifices and the things that you did to get where you are. And shoot, like you said, I mean, you know, God, um, God rest their souls. You, ha you have family members that fell victim to a lot of the things that people fell victim to in that part of the Chicago hood. And, um, and Isaiah Lord Thomas III did not. By the way, real quick. Lord, did, did Isaiah Lord Thomas the third? What the the middle name? Did that give you a god complex? No, it just made me realize that my mom and dad had high hopes for me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but yeah, anyway, uh, a couple more minutes with Isaiah Thomas, who's been great with us today on the Mike Wise Show at Pure Hoops Media. I um, I have a couple um, more that really. Uh, dovetail with sort of what we've been talking about. 
but but more so about everything that's um, going on in your own life. You're 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 no longer coaching the Liberty. You worked with Bill Lane Beer there for a while. Is that correct? Yes. Did you still want to punch him in the face? Um, not every day, but you know, I used to want to do it every day. But when we, <laughs> as we got older, it's just once a week now. <laughs> uh, I, I love the love hate relationship that team had with each other in so many ways. Uh, the um, the the I'm going to do a little rapid fire lightning round. Uh, people always say Isaiah Thomas was one of the great 50 greatest ever. I still believe you know they talk about the greatest little man to play the game. I don't even you're six one. I wouldn't even put you a little man, but. But I would, if there were a six four and under category, I mean, it'd be like you, Stockton, AI, a few others that just blow, that just done unbelievable things on the court. I I still think you should have been on the dream team in '92. Is there still resentment about that at all? And do you feel like you got aced out and Michael did it to you, or do you? Is that something that you bygones or bygones? Uh, There's no, there's no resentment. Uh, however, it's, um, you know, that's the one thing on my resume from a basketball standpoint that I didn't get to accomplish. Um, uh, the 1980 o- Olympic team was boycotted, so I didn't get a chance to, mm-hmm. to win a, a gold medal then. And then I wasn't able to participate, um, you know, on the dream team. Um, so that that's a that's a blemish on my on my resume that I can't get back. Um, do I do I blame Michael for it? Absolutely not. Um, okay. You know he's, you know he was incredible for our sport, and he's done great things. And um, but I, I don't blame him for that. No. The um, the the nineteen eighty one national championship game fell on the same day, obviously, as President Reagan being shot. What was just the environment like? It must have just been surreal. This all happening at once. It, it, it really was, um, and this is this is the brilliance of, of Coach Knight. Um, he he kept us somehow singularly focused on playing the championship game and winning, uh, and everything that was going on throughout the course of the day, in terms of you know, is the game going to be played? Is it not going to be played? Uh, he kept us focused that we are playing and be ready. Oh, I'm losing you. Is that you there? Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. And he he kept you focused. Yeah, he kept us focused, kept us ingrained in the game plan in terms of playing that night. Yeah. Um, I, I remember great stories back then. I mean, there was a story about your brother driving his mail truck to games at IU, wasn't there? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's and, crazy. And, well, here's the craziest part. It would break down in Martinsville. Now, if anybody <laughs> knows anything about Indiana, okay, Martinsville is like, you know, one of the, the homes of the of the clan, right? And also and, home to John Wooden. Yes, right? That's but, crazy. So, so he would break down in Martinsville. Now, I got no car. And this is the night before the game, and in the in the in the mail truck, he's got you know my mom, he's got you know twenty other people loaded up somehow in this truck, and and it breaks down, 
and he calls me, and I always have to go and borrow Whitman's or Kitchell's car to go pick them up. Now I'm driving down, you know, the I'm driving down, you know, the the highway at like you know eleven eleven thirty at night, night before a game, in and I'm picking up some brothers. I'm picking up some brothers in Martinsville, <laughs> and they don't need. And they don't even know they're in Martinsville. They don't even know, like, they're in danger. They just sitting out on the side of the road like, yeah, Junior will be here in a minute. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know, man. People, are wi- people are driving, and they're waving at them and everything. I'm like, oh, you guys, you just don't know. You just don't know. <laughs> uh, Bob, Bob Knight also kicked you out of, your, out of the field house when you were playing open gym. I got that on good authority. Yeah, he did. When I came back, um, when I came back um, after my rookie season to play. Yep. Why did he kick you out? What'd you do? I'm not sure. You know, sometimes you, <laughs> some, sometimes coach just has a way of not liking yeah. you that day. Right. <laughs> you know. Yes. And, yeah. and and I think all of us, all of us have experienced this. And Quinn and I talk about it a lot because we, we play tag team with him. You know, it's like, okay, Quinn, I, I think you got the next six months because for whatever reason, I'm out of favor right now. Coach don't like me. Yeah. <laughs> and he was, and Quinn would go, no, I got to give it to Scott because I'm on his bad side too. So, <laughs> I mean, that, that's, that's, that's just how we, we deal with coach, but we, we yeah. know he loves us and, and I guess I bet you if you call Coach K up right now, Coach K would tell you sometimes you know he's in, sometimes he's out. That's just how you are with Coach. Yeah. My last Indiana story. Is it true that when you know Coach Knight's official visit to your house in Chicago, your brothers really literally tried to fight him? One hundred percent true. You can, come on. See, that's why I like you, Mike. That's why I like you. You be you be getting you be getting good stuff. And I don't know who you're getting it from, except from the guy who said he farted in the classroom. That guy's an idiot. Um, but anyway, <laughs> uh, <laughs> the, um, but so true story on, um, so coach Knight comes to recruit me and he's got Quinn Buckner and Wayne Embry with him. And, you know, as I told you in Illinois at that time, Quinn Buckner was like all of all hero. And, and my brother, and, and who's passed away right now, you know, Coach Knight. What's, you know, what's his was, na- What's his name? His name is Gregory Maurice, but Gregory we call Maurice. him Gay Gay. Gay Gay. Gregory Re- Maurice Thomas. Gay Gay, rest in peace, brother. Thank you. Um, and, and and you know, my brother was hard. You know, he was you know, yeah. gang, drugs, all of that, right? So, my my brother actually asked him about you know, the, uh, you know, Indiana and, you know, the environment down there so forth and so on. And so they got into like a little heated exchange. And my brother goes like, well, we can take this outside. And Coach Knight stands up, rolls up his sleeves, takes off his jacket, and he goes, <laughs> no. all right, let's take it outside. No now, way! Yeah, everybody in the house, everybody in the house, we're like, no, y'all can't fight, y'all can't fight, da-da-da-da. My mom is sitting there looking at Coach Knight with a big-ass smile on her face, and I'm like, oh, no, she likes him. (laughs) (laughs) 
so so two so true story they so they didn't get into the fight or anything but you know back then again you know your parents decided where you were going to go to school and like kids nowadays they pick up the hat and go i've decided that i'm going to you know such and such university when the announcement was made my mom said my son has decided that he's going to indiana university to play for coach knight didn't you, Junior? And I go, yeah, that's what I decided, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's tremendous. I had no idea that story ended up. That's that's great. All right, just a couple more. This is this is great. Um, I um, Isaiah Thomas is my guest, and he's been an absolute delight. Um, I'll just leave you with this. Jason Whitlock, who a person that we both uh, know and respect, and and, and shockingly liked because no one else likes him in the world. Um, he, uh, he wrote a great column once and he, he said, is it, it's fun and it's good business to ridicule Isaiah Thomas. Is it the right thing to do? And he writes this, he pulled himself up by his bootstraps, embraced education, involved himself in sound business decisions throughout his career, maintained a marriage, won championships, invested some of his wealth in the education of others and remained loyal to his family and friends from the West side of Chicago. Um, and he says, is Thomas perfect? Hell no. I don't know anyone who is, especially not anyone with the kind of fame and wealth he enjoys. But Isaiah Thomas is, you know, is what we say we want inner city athletes to become. I, you know, that to me sums up you in a nutshell, that you're flawed, but you're flawed in a way that we're all flawed. And, you know, I just I just want to salute you for standing above some of the gossip and the ugliness and the snark and 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 carrying on doing your thing still well thank you for that and i and i and i thank jason for for writing that um and coming coming from where i came from and where i've gotten to mike if i didn't have any flaws it would be a miracle all right let's go time to stick the landing Thanks to Isaiah. Thanks also to our audio wizard, Jeff Torini. And of course, to my podcast Sherpa, Bruce Bernstein. If you like what you hear on our Pure Hoops media shows, please download, subscribe, listen, rate, review, and really enjoy. The Mike Wise Show used to be called The Wise Ass Show, but it remains a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion.